you now to turn in your Bibles to the scripture passage we'll consider today from Ephesians chapter 5, or you can find that passage there as well printed for us this morning in the bulletin. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. And I remind you where we are in the book of Ephesians. Last week, we considered how God's exile people are to live in the world, yes, but we are to live not of the world. We are to live in a manner and a style of life that's distinct from those around us who do not profess to know Jesus Christ by faith. And Paul, he showed us the suitable conduct that we ought to live our lives in that is fitting to our new identity in Jesus. He also issued that sure warning to us, that stern and sure warning that those who do not align themselves in their life with Christ uh, should hear and take heed of. And lastly, he called us to come under the shining grace of God in Christ. And now as we come to our passage today, it's a kind of transitional passage in Paul's letter. It serves as a bridge from these exhortations about the general conduct that we ought to have as God's people to more specific and particular instruction that Paul will then lay out for us in what follows in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 6, 9. But here, in this passage, Paul will show us the importance of infusing our life with the wisdom of God and being filled with the Spirit of God in all that we do. And so with that, let's give our attention to the hearing of God's holy and infallible word. Thus says the Lord your God, your Creator and Redeemer, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Loved ones, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to it, illuminating our hearts and minds to understand and apply it well and appropriately. Well, loved ones, as we just heard, the Apostle Paul here, he starts off with this exhortation to be very careful how you live. This means to have focus with careful attention on how you go about your days, what goals you are pursuing, how you are spending your time, and what you are taking in on a daily basis. And with an exhortation like this, it might be very easy for us to simply pass by this verse, to not stop and take heed, to not really listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying. But this is so relevant to us in our day and age. We so need to hear this message, to be very careful 
how you live. Why? Because just simply after looking at some statistics on how a typical person here in America or around the world, but here in America, spends their waking hours reveals that we are not careful or focused at all. For example, on average, people in North America, where we live, spend about three hours and 14 minutes on their phones every day. Roughly two hours of that is on social media, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, and this is increasing each day. Uh, Time on social media has gone up a whole hour since 2012. A whole hour in just eight years. And we don't have that many hours each day, right? And this average nearly doubled for young kids and adolescents during the lockdowns of this past year in 2020. Nearly doubled. This doesn't even include the time in front of the TV that we spend watching shows or news, whether it's on TV, with cable, or on Netflix. And when you add up all the screen time, smartphones and television and tablets, the average American spends about six hours a day in front of a screen, basically mindlessly taking in these moving pictures and the messages that they convey. This means with six hours each day that almost half of a typical person's waking hours is spent in front of a screen. That's, that's crazy. And these statistics, in a sense, they, as I studied this, looked into it a bit more, uh, made me feel sick on the inside. Not only because this is happening in our culture, but because I realized that myself and my family are also not careful enough with our use of time and the screen time that's slowly taking over more and more of life. As author Neil Postman wrote back in 1985, 1985, when only, the only screen that was really available was the television, he wrote that we are amusing ourselves to death. That was the title of his book. Highly recommend that book. Still very relevant today. Amusing ourselves to death. It's fascinating that this word amuse, this verb, the root word of it is muse, muse, which means to reflect, ponder, meditate, to be absorbed in thought, muse. Now that prefix, a, at the front of it, amuse, means not not. The very opposite. So effectively, amuse is to engage in activity without reflecting, without pondering, without meditating, to be absorbed in thoughtlessness. And so we are amusing ourselves to death. Uh, It's been said that we are in the golden age of entertainment. The golden age of entertainment because there's so much entertainment at our disposal that we can easily find anything we want this golden age of entertainment but as the saying goes all that glitters is not gold it really is fool's gold most of it all that is to say that we need to hear i think this message from this ancient text from the apostle paul about how to live life to the fullest how to be filled with the spirit of god and how to find the spirit find the spirit in our life together And those will be our three points, living life to the fullest, being filled with the Spirit of God, 
and lastly, finding the Spirit in our life together. And so let's look at that first point, live life to the fullest. You can see again with me in verse 15 to 16 in our passage, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Well, here God is calling us to be wise in our approach to life in two fundamental parts of life. That is our time and the purpose for which we are living or the goals that we are pursuing. So time and goals. To be wise is to live life to its fullest, to live every moment with intentionality and for the highest goals possible. Wisdom has been said to be the art of living life to the fullest according to our Creator God. The art of living life well according to our Creator. And that is what God is calling us to. And the prerequisite to a wise life is not amusement, but musing, pondering, thinking, meditating towards purposefulness, a thoughtful, careful, attentive approach to all of life. Now, by contrast, a fool, a simple or foolish person, gives no thought to how they use their time. They also don't consider why they're living or what they are living for. The foolish person simply pursues their pleasures for thoughtless amusement of all of their senses. Proverbs 14, verse 15 through 16, says this, The simple believes everything. So gullible, right? But the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So in other words, a simple fool is a thoughtless consumer, gullibly taking in everything, recklessly and carelessly falling into bad ideas and bad practices, bad habits, without putting thought and caution and care into his ways. By contrast, a wise and prudent person gives thought to each step he takes, being conscientious and cautious of what is right in front of him and what he might be taking in. And so you live with wisdom if the majority of your time is spent with thoughtfulness with care, with attention to what is before you. Whereas you live as a fool if you are simply amused and entertained all the days of your life. Well, Paul says here that we are to make, in addition to this, he says to make the most use of every opportunity. Literally in the Greek, the original Greek, we are to redeem the time, to buy it back, so to speak, uh, it's speaking of time as this valuable and limited commodity that God gives to each and every one of us. Ultimately, time belongs to God, and he gives it to us as stewards of that. In Psalm 90, which we sang earlier in verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Our days are numbered. You think about it. There is, in your future, a specific day, our and minute and second in which you will breathe your last breath. Your heart will stop. And only God knows when that will be for you, but there is a specific time 
on the timeline of history when your life on this earth will expire and your days will come to an end. Your days are not innumerable. They are not endless. Your time is precious, a limited resource. And so, how are you making the most of every moment of the time that has been given to you, the time that is left to you? Are you being a good steward of your time? As I was meditating upon this and different things in life that may be taking away our time, came up with the illustration of leeches. Leeches. These are slimy little worms found in waters, like lakes, etc. They bite onto an animal or a human, and then they suck the blood for food. It's fascinating how they work. Their saliva contains both anticoagulant and anesthetic agents. And so what that means is if you happen to get a leech on you while swimming in the lake and it grabs a hold of you, you probably won't feel the leech biting you because that saliva locally numbs you on that spot so you can't feel it, right? And then also your blood will flow freely, freely into the leech, feeding that leech because the saliva keeps your blood from clotting. Well, I want you to picture a man just filled his whole, the whole surface of his skin filled with leeches, just sucking blood out of him. What would you tell that person? How would you help him if you saw him? Well, you would tell him he needs to take off those bloodsuckers to get them off. They're sucking the very life out of him. Well, let me suggest this to you. You and I, we are that man with the leeches. But they aren't slimy worms sucking blood. Rather, they're often sleek screens that are sucking our precious time that we have away from us, sucking it out, leaving us empty. And they numb us, right? They numb us. It becomes a sense which you're watching the screen and it just numbs you and the time passes away and you forget what's happening and you forget how much time you've spent. The sage of Ecclesiastes, the wise man in the Old Testament says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Eternity. We were made for eternal things, for things that are lasting and purposeful, to behold the glory of God, not the glitter of entertainment, which is fool's gold. Now, with this, I'm not saying that entertainment itself is evil. No. What I'm saying is that statistically, Americans like us, we need to hear this. We need to significantly cut back on our screen time in order to redeem the time that God has given us for greater things than glowing screens. We were made to live for God and his glory. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul says that if this life is all that is, with nothing after death, if the dead are not raised, Paul says, well, then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you should live for yourself. Pursue your maximum pleasure, whatever you desire, because this is it. This is all there is. Selfish hedonism is the only answer if Jesus did not rise again from the dead. And just imagine that. What would the world be like 
If everyone lived in that way, a society in which everyone only cared about realizing their own personal deepest desires, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, or important or helpful to others, they only pursued what they desired for themselves. That would be a devastating and hellish world to live in. But Paul's point is that there is a reality that has broken into this world, the historic resurrection of Christ from the dead. And Christ changes our entire perspective on life, that although it's true we may die tomorrow, but that's not the end. We will then be brought before God, before the face of our God in judgment. The resurrection is proof that this life is not all there is, that there is eternity set before us after death. And therefore, we would be fools to only pursue worldly pleasures for ourselves, because we were made ultimately for the glory of God and for eternal things. And why this approach, as Paul says here? Because the days are evil that we live in. We were not destined for these dark and dismal days. No, rather we were destined for, especially now in Christ, united to him by his spirit, destined for the dawning of the eternal days to come, the new creation. And because we are united to Christ, bound for eternity, every moment in our life matters now. This is why it is so important that we seek the will of God. As Paul says here, not the secret will of God, why and how things happen, different occurrences in life and around the world, uh, according to his eternal providence, which is secret. It's not known to us. There are secret things that belong to the Lord. But he's speaking here of his revealed will that we must seek to learn and understand. That is, the will of God revealed in his word, which is our sanctification, how God's word applies to every aspect of every moment of every life, showing us what is significant, valuable, and of eternal weight. As a popular refrain goes, because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, because of that, we believe that there is only one life to live, which will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And even the smallest things that you do for Christ will last and have an impact for all of eternity, as Jesus said, even when you give a, a glass of cold water to one of my little ones, to a believer, to a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you will be rewarded in heaven. Even the smallest acts of faith and those smallest moments matter for all of eternity because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this is why Paul moves on to talk about the Holy Spirit, because he is working in us to live wisely. He is enabling us more and more to make the most of every opportunity in our life. And so that's our second point, to be filled with the Spirit. In verse 18, look at the text again, verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now at first, this seems kind of like a random exhortation to avoid drunkenness but that's not the point it serves rather as a contrast here to show how instead of alcohol and drunkenness which is the result of taking in too much alcohol instead of that we should seek to be filled with the holy spirit and the result of that as dr ba in his commentary says on this passage 
If wine controls the mind and ruins one's sense of propriety, leading to reckless abandon, so in stark contrast, being filled with the presence of God in the Spirit leads to self-control along with other spiritual fruits. And so he's drawing a contrast here to show us the importance and the value of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But first I want us to take a step back and think why, ask the question, why is it that people drink in order to become drunk? What is the purpose? Well, it is to numb pain. It is to escape the problems that they're facing in life. I think in a word we can summarize it saying people get drunk in in order to seek a peace, a world of peace, this illusion of peace from their problems, their sorrow, their anger, and overwhelming responsibilities in life. But ultimately, that peace that they seek in the bottle, in the wine, is a false peace that blinds them to their problems, it numbs them to their sorrow, and it distorts their perspective on reality. So the promised refuge of the bottle is ultimately a trap It results, as it says here in the text, in debauchery, which can be translated reckless abandon, a carelessness, a recklessness in life. And this is the real problem with drunkenness. The end result, it renders people ultimately useless, reckless, and loose with their morals. Now, by contrast, we can look at this now in the contrast, which is the purpose that Paul is making here is to show what is the end result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the very opposite. He does not numb our senses to what's going on, but rather enables us to find a deep focus and alertness in every moment of life. The Spirit, He grows us in awareness of what is really important, God's will. Instead of drowning out our sorrows, The Spirit actually is our close friend that comes near to us in our grief, by our side, guiding us through our sorrow. Instead of offering a temporary escape from our problems and responsibilities, the Holy Spirit strengthens us to face our problems with courage and hope. And instead of breaking our moral compass, He aligns our heart to God's will thereby guiding us towards what is truly good, true, and beautiful. You see, God, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a party pooper. He is a cosmic joy igniter, we could say. He is the host of the party where true and lasting joy is found. And that's what David says in Psalm 16. He says, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. With God we, and with the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us to God and the pleasures that are found in Him in fellowship and communion with Him. And this is how we are to live life to the fullest, by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But how do we fill ourselves with the Spirit? How? Practically. You know, it's one of those phrases that becomes somewhat cliche, right? We might pass it around between each other. We might say it and believe it. We all assume that we know what we're talking about. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, what does that mean on a practical level? And we might 
when asked that question, draw blanks and not, not know what to say, not know how to respond. And so that leads us to our third point, because here in the text, Paul, he lays it out for us. He explains how to be filled with the Spirit, and that is finding the Spirit. In verses, the verses that follow, 19 to 21, Paul fleshes out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so to that question, how do we fill ourselves with the Spirit of God? This is how Paul would answer. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so if we carry over from that last point, the metaphor of drinking. When someone wants to get drunk, where do they go? They go to the liquor store, they go to the bar, typically. They go to the place where they find alcohol. So based on Paul's explanation here, where do you go to get filled with the Spirit of God? Well, where do you find those activities that he laid out there for us? Those activities of praise and prayer with other people in the name of Jesus. Where do you find that place, that community, where there is praise and praise of Jesus with others? You know the answer. It's the church. The church. Not the building. Not here but each of us together in fellowship with one another. The church, the communion of the saints, the fellowship of believers. And this actually fits very well with what Paul has been saying throughout the book of Ephesians, that the church community is the new spiritual temple of God. Because in the Old Testament, in the temple, that's where God's presence was. That was the place where you would find the Holy Spirit was in the temple the place where you would find other believers gathered to offer God praise and thanks and where you would hear the Levitical priest chanting the psalms together with music. It was in a way for the ancient believers, the Jewish believers looking forward to Christ, it was a way for them, heaven on earth, a replica of the peace that existed in the Garden of Eden there in the temple for them a signpost pointing forward to the eternal peace and comfort that God would bring on the last day in glory. And now, because of what Jesus has done for us, the church is that new temple of God where such things are to be found and delighted in. And when we come together around God's word, seeking Jesus by faith together, we will find the Holy Spirit. But just gathering together is not enough. Gathering together is not enough. Gathering together in one place is kind of like making the forge for the blacksmith. But just having the forge for the blacksmith is not enough for him to shape the metal. It's necessary, yes, to have it, but it needs to be fired up. The blacksmith needs to light it a flame and heat it up before he can make any shape out of the metal or form it as he wants. And so, too, our fellowship together needs to be fired up by the proper activities that Paul lays out here for us. Namely, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, and also prayerfully thanking God together in prayer for everything in the name of Jesus. So praise and prayer, these activities in a sense, fire up the forge in allowing and in, in inviting the Holy Spirit to shape and fashion us more into the image of Christ. 
And this is how we get our fill of the Spirit, this word-centered fellowship of believers is the dispensary of God's Spirit in this world. Notice that Paul doesn't say here, in order to be filled with the Spirit, go online and listen and watch your favorite preacher in order to be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say, go to a big Bible conference in order to be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say, put your nose into the newest book and you sit alone with that book and read it all day long in order to be filled with the Spirit. All those things can be helpful, yes. But what does he say? He says here, go sing to each other. Sing to each other. Go pray and give thanks to God with each other. That's what we ought to be doing. Now, why is singing God's truth to each other so important, so valuable? Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, he says it this way. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be the appointed are appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections, to stir us up in love and delight for God's truth. John Calvin, the great reformer, he says it this way, that when truth has the melody with it, it pierces the heart much strongly, much more strongly, and enters within. And so we must have songs not merely honest, but also holy, which will be like spurs to incite us to pray to God and praise Him, and to meditate upon His works in order to love, fear, honor, and glorify Him. In a way, I think we could summarize what they're saying here by saying that singing God's Word is a unique tool for engaging our whole heart in worship to God. It's a way that the Holy Spirit fills us and forms us more into the image of Jesus. Now, why is it important that we sing spiritual songs or songs of the Holy Spirit? That is, either songs that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Psalms themselves is a songbook for the church. We have to give thanks to God that we sing the Psalms here in our church but also other songs that are aligned with the mind of the Spirit, the, the truth of God's Word. And why is that important? Dane Ortlund, the, the very same author of this book that we'll be reading, he says in another book that as you read the Psalms unhurriedly, meditatively, allowing them to give voice to your own heart's distresses, you will find yourselves thinking, these poets know me. In fact, they know me better than I know myself. They see my sin more clearly than I do, and they see the surprising abundance of God's redemption more clearly than I do. In short, they take me deeper and thus foster my growth in Christ. The Psalms, loved ones, are especially intended for this purpose, to fill us with the Spirit, to take us into deeper communion with Christ, and to turn our hearts in praise towards God. And isn't this what we find Jesus doing in the Gospel accounts? with his disciples, with his followers, and his friends. They sang psalms together. They spoke God's word to each other. They prayed with each other. Why? Well, Jesus was carefully and intentionally living for the glory of God and the well-being of his followers, and he wanted them to experience life to the fullest and to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And how did he do that? By spending quality time with them. 
face to face in fellowship, walking alongside them, drinking deeply of the Spirit by the Word of God as they sang and prayed it together. And Jesus, in that way, he was preparing his own for their future glory, which will be a world of singing. We see that in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. We get a picture of saints in glory, even us, in a sense, a picture of us in our future. And we do not see people with their faces down, fixated on tiny screens, but rather faces uplifted, radiating with the glory of God as they behold his face in the face of Christ. And what are they doing with their time in glory in the new heavens and the new earth? They are addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and making praise and prayer together. Now each Lord's Day, when we come together to worship like this, this is first and foremost the time when we ought to sing and lean into that and seek to be filled with the Spirit. But we need more, and we can do more. As families, as households, we ought to be singing each day with each other as much as possible. And so at, after dinner, singing, taking out your Trinity Psalter hymnal here, or maybe downloading it on your phone. If you're going to use your phone, there's a Trinity Psalter hymnal app where you can find all the songs and it plays the melody for you, and you can sing together as a family. And also soon we will be starting up the Friday Night Fellowship, which I announced earlier. And this is a weekly time, these seasons of fellowship together, where we gather with purpose and intentionality to sing God's truth together. We sing hymns and psalms talk about things that ultimately matter, that are of eternal weight and significance, and we pray together as we share a meal together, quality time. In these ways, we seek the Holy Spirit to be filled with him and to live life to the fullest. May God's Holy Spirit enable and equip us to pursue that end. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage, which might be one that we would quickly pass over and not stop and meditate upon. But we thank you for this time in your providence that you have given us to pause and reflect and muse over it, to take in deeply what you have for us in this passage. And we ask, Lord, that it would sink down deep into our hearts as individuals that it would in fact change and alter our approach to life, our use of time and the goals that we are pursuing, and that you would stir up within us a desire to gather and fellowship together with purpose and intentionality, centered upon your word, seeking your face in Christ. This we ask for your glory and the edification and building up of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones, let's... Uh,